0: The right agent can lead the way. Based on 2022 Brand Spark American Trust Study. Each office independently owned and operated. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another episode of the Art of Manliness podcast. Now, when a man decides to grow a beard or a mustache, he's taking part in a long and story tradition that goes back for millennia. But what he might not realize is that the decision to grow a beard comes with layers upon layers of cultural meaning. During different eras of time, beards have come to represent wisdom, goodness, evil, and social revolution. And our guest today has written a book that investigates the cultural history of the beard, his name is Alan Peterkin, and his book is called One Thousand Beards, A Cultural History of Facial Hair. When Alan isn't writing about the glories of beards and mustaches, he's a psychiatrist and journalist in Toronto, Canada. Alan, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right, Alan, so the history of beards and mustache, and particularly the cultural history of beards and mustaches, is a pretty obscure topic. What inspired you to write about the cultural history of facial hair?
1: Well, I I was wanting to write a cultural history and that one hadn't been done in a very long time. And um, I was walking to work, I I walked to to work at the hospital, I guess, you know, 1990 or so. And I started to realize in Toronto that almost every every third face on the street had some kind of facial hair and it seemed to be across races, across ages. And then when I traveled, I get to the States a fair bit and, and the rest of Canada and college campuses, I was finding the same thing, so I, I sort of asked myself, "What's going on? Why why is facial hair suddenly so popular?" And that led me to to research the book.
0: Huh? And do you, do you yourself have facial hair? Is that something
1: I do just now? Actually, I, I because it's so cold in in Canada, I uh, usually grow a beard over the winter. I, I call it my indolence beard. It's, it's really desire <laughs> not to shave, when it's cold, basically. Yeah.
0: <laughs> All right. And when I was reading your book, Alan, it, one of the things I noticed is that religion uh, has played a, a big role in the history of the beard. Uh, what are some examples that you can give of religion regulating or dictating how, how facial hair should be grown?
1: Well, what, what you see over history is a real flip-flop. So, you know, men take their cues from their clergy, uh, but they also take them from royalty. So you know the royalty factor, the monarch factor is kind of in there as well, the, the political factor. But in terms of of the religious beard, and many of these rules, of course, still apply. You know, you have the notion that, uh, for example, Hasidic Jews don't shave their beards, Muslims don't shave their beards, uh, Amish men have a particular type of chin beard. Um, you know, so that that you see that there are still instructions about about not. Um uh, clipping facial hair and um so those those uh, rules sort of stay pretty constant. what you find in christianity though is is quite a flip flop so you might have um a pope saying it was a good idea and then another one coming along and saying that that the, the beard should be taxed or penance should be paid or that you should shave your beard off as an act of penance so in for example in Roman Catholicism you don't often see uh, hairy clergy but if you look at the Greek Orthodox church um uh, many of the clergy clergymen there many of the priests actually have facial hair so those those things persist, uh, and again, I think believers believers follow their cues based on 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 what those leaders are telling them.
0: Hmm. And wh- why did Christianity flip flop on the status of the beard?
1: Well, again, I think it has to do with the link between again the monarchy and and you know and religion and and religious leaders. So they were probably following what the monarch suggested. Um, but uh, you know, I think. Most of the portrayals of the devil, for instance, show him as being kind of a hairy beast. So that association that it becomes sort of devilish, um, it's pretty arbitrary. There's really no rhyme to reason to it. It's just, you know, uh, if a leader decided that, that it was saintly, you know, it was fine to grow it. If it was godlike, it was fine to grow it. And then another leader would come along and say, no, we think it's diabolical. We think it's, it's you know, lustful and it needs to come off.
0: Hmm. And you mentioned uh, taxation of beards. And I thought that was really interesting as well. Why Why did people, why did monarchs decide to tax beards and facial hair? What was up with that?
1: Well, I think probably greed, <laughs> the idea of filling out the coffers. I mean, a good example was Henry VIII, who wore a beard himself, but taxed men for wearing beards. So I think sometimes it's about, you know, uh, a sign of being an aristocrat or being in power that you can have the beard and that the lowly man mustn't have it, and you, in fact, have to tax him for having it. So it's a form of kind of distinguishing classes, but also, as I say, just, you know, a bit of a money grab, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, I just thought it's funny. They'd pick up the beard, you know, it's the one thing. I'm going to tax your beard. Yeah. To make yeah. Money that. <laughs> All right, so, Alan, if the beard carries so much significant cultural meaning, I'm guessing deciding to shave it off does too. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of shaving and its cultural meanings?
1: Yes. Well, it's a very enduring ritual, you know, and it's a ritual we learn from our, our dads and our grandfathers. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a ritual that's performed every day. We have special implements to do it and the implements keep getting fancier. You know, there's a whole industry behind shaving now with you know five blade razors and and about five steps to the kinds of potions you should use on your face so it's a very enduring ritual that goes right back to uh greek times you know that that when a young boy first developed facial hair it was something to be celebrated um, you know, they would keep the first clippings of it and sometimes bury them or, or, you know, sail them down the river. It was a, you know, a mark of manhood essentially that, that the, the, the facial hair was sprouting. So, um, of course, in very early times, you know, there was no technology to do it. It would have been very painful. Uh, there's some evidence that prehistoric men um, used clam shells to sort of pluck out shells, pluck out the facial hair, rather, which would have been a kind of very painful thing to do. And then, you know, you you have the Bronze Age, and you have implements being uh, created, and and. Um, Increasingly, with every, you know, century, basically, better means to, to shape. So, ra- better razors, uh, better steel, a uh, less dangerous kind of procedure. There was a time, you know, in Rome where really only the wealthy could afford to, could, could afford to go to barbers and, and that was quite a social hub. Uh, but being shaven, uh, showed that you could afford it. As the technology got better, of course, then it's something that you could do at home. And the big, uh, development is, uh, King Camp Gillette, who starts producing his razor in, in the early 1900s. And you have men going to both the First and Second World War, uh, coming back clean shaven. And, and, you know, that's really where clean shavenness sort of took off. Um, you know, the last fuzzy era was Victorian times, but after both world wars, uh, you know, the, the expectation was to be clean shaven and that, that, that clean shavenness was next to godliness. So uh, it's an interesting development.
0: So that's why in today the beard has kind of waned in popularity.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, in the 20th century, um, you know, in the 50s you saw beatniks, in the 60s you saw hippies, in the 70s you saw sort of, you know, swingers and, and the mustache, in the 80s you saw stubble, but then it was in the 90s that you saw kind of the grunge look, and then the real reemergence of the goatee, and so that was about the time that I was interested in, in researching the book, because, you know, there were so many men wearing goatees and other... Kind of combinations of facial, not so often the full beard, but you know maybe a bit of stubble with a full mustache or sideburns and a um, you know a cookie duster or something like that. So um, it, it's just taken off since then, and it seems like the permutations and combinations are endless, and it's really showing no signs of slowing down.
0: Hmm. And going back to the kind of the cultural meaning of shaving, uh, one thing I remember reading in your book was that. People would often shave uh, for religious reasons, but also uh, if they were in times of mourning, I remember. And also, if a warrior was caught in battle, the the captor would actually.
1: Oh yeah, them. that was Hadrian the Emperor told all of his men to shave because he thought that in hand to hand combat, you know, you'd have your beard tugged on. And I don't know if that's a particularly realistic view of things, but but you know again, here's an example of a leader saying, "Okay, this is the reason you've got to shave; you better do it," and that's exactly what happened. I think what you're referring to with mourning is that it was more the opposite that that a man would stop shaving, and stop tending to his appearance when in mourning, and and would often you know go stubble and and um, you know look uh, a little more scruffy just to show the world that he was that he was in mourning. Uh, so that that uh, I, I think you know men have often grown beards to mark transitions um, or shaman, actually to mark transitions, so you know a guy who's leaving a marriage or uh, you think of Al Gore growing his beard after he lost the election so that that he was marking with his public face uh, kind of a a change and a loss uh, in his life, I would expect, and similarly, you have uh, men who 've had facial hair entering a new relationship and wanting a new face and, and, you know, to look a little more youthful and, and they shave their hair off. So transitions seem to be important in men's lives as to the decision to grow or not.
0: We're going to take a quick break for a words from our sponsors. Texas Pete is the sauce that allows you to sauce like you mean it. Each Texas Pete sauce is packed with a bold, balanced flavor. The signature tanginess is what makes it a legendary hot sauce that can be used on just about anything. You're definitely going to want to try every flavor. The original hot sauce has a famous secret blend of fermented peppers. Their hotter hot sauce is three times hotter than the original, and it's not for the faint of heart. They also got a flavor called Sabor by Texas Pete, adds authentic Mexican flavor, and they also have a dust-dry seasoning that matches the flavor of the original hot sauce in a flavorful dry rub, but... The flavor that I've been enjoying lately is these chop sriracha sauce. It's got chili, garlic, and some tropical tangy notes. It's really good. I love putting on my eggs. Texas Pete sauce like you mean it. Visit texaspeete.com and use the store locator to find Texas Pete products as well as purchase sauces and get recipe inspiration. And you can use promo code podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeete.com. That's podcast24 for 20% off at texaspeete.com check out the sriracha Cha sauce. And now back to the show. Hmm. One of the interesting things I thought that you wrote about in your book, you dedicated a section um, about the psychological theories of facial hair that men like Freud and others have come up with. Can you explain some of these theories that they came up with that they thought facial hair represented or shaving represented?
1: Yeah, that was a fun chapter to write because it was a little over the top. I found a reference... By a Dr. Berg who was a psychoanalyst writing in the 50s. And he of course was very much into classical psychoanalysis and Freudian interpretation and the Oedipal complex, etc. So he thought that, you know, growing facial hair was an expression of libido and sort of lust and drive and competitiveness and showing you that you're more of a man than the one next to you or than your father. So, but that that would produce conflict in some men because they thought, oh my goodness, I can't compete with, you know, my boss, my father, etc., my authority figure. So the act of shaving became kind of an act of self-castration as he saw it, that you'd actually be keeping all these impulses in check by, by going through the ritual of shaving every day. And, you know, I think that's, that's kind of far-fetched, but it was, it was certainly fun to, to read. I think some of the other things, though, because uh, psychologists, more modern psychologists, have actually looked at this question of facial hair, and they've done studies like have women rate photographs of men with or without facial hair, and invariably women uh, and other respondents, including men, will will find that the the, the bearded face is a more virile, powerful, masculine one, but then if you go the step further and ask the women if they would want to date the man in the picture, they, they, they tended, at least in the 60s and 70s, when these studies were being done, to say no, that although it was very masculine, there was also something kind of threatening about it. Mm-hmm. And there, there's this whole notion of kind of what could the evolutionary purpose of the beard be, and, and of course, apart from protecting our faces from the elements, um, there's something about the beard making our, our jaw look larger and our teeth look more prominent. And that goes back to apes who are, are, when they're in combat, stick their jaws out. It's called jaw jet. And they show their teeth and stick their jaw out, and it makes them look more ferocious. So there's something also about, you know, the, the bearded face kind of lending uh, a certain ferociousness. And that probably served us over, over millennia. <laughs> hmm,
0: wow. And you, you talked a little bit about um, how the beard is on. Or facial hair is is on the rise, you know, it's the trend is everyone's starting to grow beards and facial hair. But it seems that, you know, my kind of experience that when a man decides to grow a beard these days, particularly young men, they do it to be ironic. Yeah. A a hip thing. I mean, so is this the future of of the beard in Western society? Is it just irony? I mean, what is the future of facial hair in, you know, postmodern society?
1: Well, you know, it, I sort of thought about what the postmodern beard is because, you know, as I said, we used to take our cues from from the people at the top, clergy, monarchy. Nowadays, we take our cues from popular culture. So it could be, um, you know, athletes, musicians, movie stars, porn stars. I mean, that's where young men, uh, you know, and men in general kind of take their cues on, on how they should look, how their bodies should look. Um, but I think for the most part it it really is both an act of of rebellion and playfulness at the same time and you know it's also I think significant that some of the men I interviewed said "Well, this is something that, that I can do that women can't do so you know kind of maybe a bit of a uh, you know backlash to, to feminism on some level but again I think quite playful. Uh, the young men I interviewed were all doing it just to kind of push the envelope but I think what that suggests is that, that our culture now is more hospitable to, to facial hair than they have been for a while so uh, you can most men can work with facial hair uh, with the exception of of banking and politics uh, most workplaces are pretty tolerant you know i t academia um, the creative fields the artistic fields are all fine with you having facial hair and what part of what you 're saying I think with facial hair is i 'm no corporate slave uh, i can I can do this my dad, my granddad had to to shave to keep their jobs um, i don't have to do that, and I can be playful. And then there's the whole notion of it being kind of, again, virile, masculine, sexy, that I can be unabashedly all those things as well with my facial hair.
0: Uh, as I liked how you mentioned uh, politics. There, you know, there was a time here in America when a president could have beards or mustaches. And we had several famous presidents that had beards and mustaches. Do you think as beards and facial hair becomes more popular that we'll be able to make its appearance again into the political scene?
1: you know it's it's really hard to say because you know in modern times, the beard has taken on sort of more connotation, so there's the notion of it being uh revolutionary communist you know people always think of Fidel Castro, and then after nine eleven of course, there was this whole notion of of um you know maybe he's a terrorist if he's if he's you know. Uh, not if he 's of color, etc, and has facial hair, then maybe he 's a terrorist and and that was borne out by by um, for example, Indian and Pakistani men with beards being stopped more often at at um, at the border or at security gates at airports so it 's taken on that you know that ooh this is this is this sort of bin Laden territory that we're we're talking about. So it's still suspect. I, I think it would take a long while before you would see North American politicians uh, and even European politicians wearing beards, because the whole notion is, um, what's he hiding? You know, there must be something a little suspect, a little sinister. Uh, you know uh, all of our leaders in the last century have been clean shaven so or at least yeah for large parts of the 20th century have been clean shaven so so what 's going on with this guy hmm. in business it 's sort of the same thing that that You know, in banking, you're expected to be part of a team and not to stand out and to kind of be predictable and uniform in your, in your conduct and your appearance. So, you know, if a guy started having facial hair, then maybe something's up. And actually I got a call last week from the Wall Street Journal that, that an American banker came back from his holidays with a beard and everybody said, aha, this must, must mean he's on his way out. And indeed he was because you just don't have facial hair in that, in that arena.
0: Very interesting. Well, Alan, this was a fascinating discussion. Thank you for your time and good luck with your book.
1: All right. Thank you. Just to let you know, there's another one coming, which is going to be called um, The Bearded Gentleman, A Guide to Shaving Face. And this is more about kind of styling, preserving, and then shaving it off and starting all over. And that, that's also with Arsenal Pub Press.
0: Well, fantastic. Well, we look forward to it.
1: Okay. My pleasure. Take care. Thank you.
0: Our guest today was Alan Peterkin. Alan is the author of the book One Thousand Beards: A Cultural History of Facial Hair, and you can pick up Alan's book at arsenalpulp.com/one-thousand-beards. Well, that wraps up another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. For more manly tips and advice, check back at the Art of Manliness website at artofmanliness.com. And remember, we got a book on sale too. It's the Art of Manliness, Classic Skills and Manners for the Modern Man. You can buy it at any major bookstore, amazon.com, and our own website. So for more information about the book, check out artofmanliness.com slash the book. And until next week, stay manly.